0: data knots going right back to the roots of the show is silo busting that is every discipline of it affects every other so we should all be getting around the table and designing solutions together cloud is a major silo buster related to cloud composable infrastructure is another hpe is helping many shops unify their silos and modernize their infrastructure and we're going to talk to them in this sponsored edition of the data knots podcast At PacketPushers.net, you can find this in all of our Datanaut shows about infrastructure engineering, or just search for Datanauts spelled like astronauts in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us at Datanauts underscore show. I'm Ethan Banks, and with me is Chris Wall. And our guest today is Garth Reed, Senior Strategist for HPE's Enterprise Portfolio. Garth, welcome to the show. And let's open up the discussion by having a chat about storage. There's a lot of different things that we can talk about when we talk about modernizing infrastructure and storage is one of those things where depending on where you look it matters a lot or it barely matters at all but so in the hpe view though where are legacy storage systems falling down where, where are they falling short for companies
1: thanks ethan so yeah uh thanks for your time today so you know, legacy storage systems were not designed to be collaborative or as integrated as what we're seeing today in the more modern storage designs and architectures. If you looked at how IT typically siloed itself, is you'd have an individual, discrete area of storage, which would have processes, procedures, methodologies, governance, way of doing business, a book of record, a set of workflows, etc., cetera, et cetera. and that would you know they'd all speak storage and they, and they, and they're discrete and different and mutually exclusive from what we were doing on networking which again had its own processes procedures methodologies governance and all that good stuff and again from the server and then again from the virtualization team and all pinned by a data center with security and, and another governance model, right? This is fairly complex, right? So legacy storage systems kind of epitomize that by saying, well, this is very typical, right? Here is this system. It does this particular kind of function, and that's what it does. So we're looking at software-defined capabilities in the appliance itself to really ease the ownership process, to simplify the care and feeding, and to simplify the operational and ownership model. When we look at products like we have with Nimble, that's a good example of that. Nimble providing essentially a software-defined capability in an appliance format, and we can drive a huge range of skills and capabilities around the Nimble platform and really deliver to our customers a modern architecture that, that breaks down the traditional methodologies you'd have around traditional storage and really sort of ease up that ownership process.
0: Okay, let's put some meat on those bones then. So we've talked about needing to modernize the storage system, software-defined capabilities to ease the ownership and the operational process there. We have an engineering crowd here, Garth, that that are listening Mm -hmm. to this. If you were to try to give them a a practical way to to translate that, software-defined capabilities, give us some examples. Sure.
1: So if I looked at my traditional 3PAR, so in contrast to Nimble, traditional 3PAR, there's a ton of telemetry information we're gathering on 3PAR. There's all of this machine level information that we've been gathering. And we provided that in the 3PAR storefront environment and customers could go at that. But the presentation of that data was not optimized for the user, the operations of that machine. So even though a 3PAR has a lot of dials and levers and buttons that you can push to really tune that thing, you had to go in and tune it yourself. And if you wanted to get the data, you had to go and try to find the information to try to figure out how to tune the system. So this is a rather cumbersome approach. And that's a very traditional storage approach to things. In Nimble, we use a tool called InfoSight. And InfoSight gathers metadata off of each one of our arrays and then collects that information and then puts it into a cloud-based portal. So it's only metadata. all right? But that data is used to create a comprehensive view of everything that's happening in the nimble environment, meaning that I don't have to go in and turn the dials and push the buttons and lift the levers and and manage the actual nimble box. The nimble box uses the telemetry data, pushes it up into a micro AI tool called InfoSight in a cloud-based SaaS model, and then the array itself will be tuned by that AI.
0: Well, okay. Well, you just answered a question I had there. So InfoSight isn't simply, I mean, you mentioned it's gathering metadata and then putting all that data up into the portal to tell me things about the array, but it's not simply telling me things. It's actually doing something with that information. And you you mentioned tuning it and there's an AI algorithm there. So it's, what does that mean? It's moving data around so that performance is optimized. What's actually happening?
1: It'll tell you where you've got a bottleneck. It sees the virtual machines, it sees at the application layer. So if you go into a volume and it identifies which virtual machines are sitting on which volume, you can tag those ESX instances and determine, you know, put in the the application name. And now I can be told that this particular SQL server or this particular aspect of my application stack has a challenge from a performance perspective, or it's got a consumption pattern that's going to cause an issue on that particular volume. So now we can be very predictive and we can forecast and come back to you and say, hey, guess what? We're seeing this. Now, to do that on a traditional array, that's a lot of work. But in this case, you simply get a message from our, our AI that says, we recommend that you move this this particular virtual machine from this volume to this volume based on its particular, you know, it's a hot zone. It's, it's driving up a lot of activity. It's got some temporal spatial requirements that, uh, in, you know, we insist that you move this to avoid a potential bottleneck, a performance bottleneck or a capacity issue in the future. So that predictive... Capability now comes to the operator and rather than the operator having to be responsible trying to figure out what's going on under the covers of the array with respect to the application that is being done on their behalf
2: It's very timely that you bring this up Garth, and it definitely the the kind of the hairs on my nerd arm I guess are, are raised a little bit because you're talking about metadata, and we had a show with a data scientist that really dug into what is metadata, why is it so important, where does it go? that kind of jazz. I want to kind of put a spotlight on what you're talking about here with InfoSight. I think the big differentiator is that it's not just, Hey, give me a bunch of numbers and metrics and things. And it's my job as the operator to kind of like find the value from that and discern what actions need to be taken. It sounds like you're actually telling me proactively, Hey, there's a problem here. I've detected it because I'm aware of the metadata that's associated with those applications. Here's what I suggest doing or, or, potentially here's what might alleviate some bottlenecks. My question is, A, do I have that right? I want to make sure that I'm on the same page as you. And then kind of B, where is that processing occurring? Is that kind of in the InfoSight cloud where you're crunching it all and then sending it back saying, here's what I suggest you do?
1: That InfoSight cloud is a massive uh, columnar database. It's taking the metadata from thousands of arrays. It's doing a correlation across all of them. If I've got this particular problem on this array, I will then it will automatically go out and scan and look for other arrays that have a similar profile in terms of their configuration, firmware version of ESX application stack, all that kind of detail. Pull those out and do a deeper analysis on that, and figure out should we be connecting with these customers to advise them that we had you know a challenge over here. They may have a challenge as well, and be proactive. So proactive and predictive. And that's consultative, right? It's coming back with a recommendation engine because we could say, hey, here's potential configuration issues that you've got. Here's uh, performance challenges that you're having. Here's the way you've laid everything out is not optimal. And we're collecting, we've got over nine years, almost 10 years of historical data on these nimble arrays that we're feeding into that machine. And if you've got a data scientist who's presented on your show, they'll tell you that an AI type algorithmic engine is far more accurate the more data you give it. So we've got, we didn't just come out with this. This isn't like we're going to (laughs) announce this next year, or this is on our roadmap. This is like uh, something that's been around for almost 10 years, right? Now, let me be very clear about this. We've got, if you get the right level of firmware on your 3PAR, we've now got this 100% supported on 3PAR. And let me put another thing in there too. If you've got a ProLiant Gen 8, nine, ten. if you've got on our Apollo platform from Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And early January, we've got support for this InfoSight AI on our x86 servers as well.
2: So it sounds like the only thing I really need to be afraid of here is this becoming self-aware and taking over Skynet is what it sounds like.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the joke, right? We've we codenamed it Skynet. So... Oh, wow. I just guess. guessed. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a tease. It's a, it's a joke. But it's, it's great because if, you know, 86% of the time, these nimble boxes, we could trap the problem, fix the problem 86% of the time. So 91% of all cases, we would treat automatically. A few, a small percentage of those we had to stick handle, 86% of the time we open and close the case automatically, right? 54% of the time we've got, actually, it's not a storage problem. You've got a configuration issue. You've got something wrong in the application on the volume, size, and config type issue, right? It's not actually a storage problem, right? So all this data coming at us and we're able to interpret that and turn that around and quite frankly, to be self-serving on this, is we've got a very high net promoter score on that Nimble platform. So we're extending that functionality into 3PAR. And we're in early January, extending that functionality into our ProLiant. And then not just on today's ProLiant, but we can go back about six years into uh, Gen eight and go back and, and support those.
0: Well, Garth, you've been talking about hardware, arrays that I own, things that are in my data center. But how does this help me with cloud storage or, or, or does it?
1: So I think storage is an interesting, it's a fascinating thing when you get into cloud. You know, if you looked into S3 and you say, hey, there's six, seven different types of storage that sit up inside S3, and you've got all these amazing capabilities in terms of tiering, auto tiering, dynamic allocation of uh, resource of performance and both consumption level. But, you know, I can't always put all of my stuff in there. Data's got way too much gravity. It's just, I've got too much to move. Oh, by the way, somebody from my business unit is going to come back to me and say, can you pull data sets back from four years ago? Because I want to do some analytics on that stuff. And it's like, oh my God, we put that up in somewhere in AWS Azure GCP and I don't know how to get that in an economic way. So for us, it's an adjacency question. We have cloud volumes with Nimble that allow us to take an instance of Nimble, put it into a cloud adjacent configuration The application stack, for example, could sit inside that cloud, and it can connect to our cloud, our adjacent cloud volume, and consume the data as required. So your ingress, egress is managed. You're not moving the totality of your data into the cloud. You're putting it next to it, getting the performance there but not having to pay the ingress, egress uh, charges for that. So cloud volumes give me the ability to instantiate on-prem and off-prem from a resiliency, availability, replication capability, as well as giving me the ability to draw workload at the cloud from an adjacent, in an adjacent manner.
0: So, so let me read that back to you. I've heard you guys present on cloud volumes before, and I've even done a little bit of writing about it. If I remember right, as you're saying, it's not that I'm storing data in the cloud, I'm actually storing data on a Nimble uh, array, that Nimble array isn't something that I have to manage. I'm leasing it from from HPE, I assume, something to that effect.
1: Yeah, we can set it up that way, yeah.
0: And, and network-wise, as you put it, it's adjacent to the cloud so that you guys have got great plumbing next to anywhere in the public cloud that I might be so that I can mount a Nimble cloud volume from my public cloud instance, but have all of the enterprise features that I would want to get and need to have from my storage.
1: Yeah, so that gives you that. And that's important because as our consumption model changes, as the application usage model changes, as you have your users and your clients and your business-to-business interactions, your B2C, your C2C, all that kind of peer-type activities going on, it, you know, you get a lot of that happening in the cloud, your data center may not be close to where those users are. Here's a way of being able to instantiate the data that you need closer to the customers. And that's, that's what you get with adjacency, right? So, and how do you retain control over that?
0: Yeah. And, and, and if I had very particular needs or latency requirements, HPE could tell me that uh, we've got a cloud volume placed here or there in, in proximity to various public cloud pops?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's how we set it up. So we make sure that we're, you know, next door, across the street, whatever it happens to be, we're very close to the uh, point of presence uh, to reduce the latency.
0: Okay. Well, since we're talking about Nimble uh, here, Garth, I know a fairly recent announcement came out about secondary flash and some new products in that space. Can you talk us through those?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, to understand the concept around secondary flash. So, you know, you're going to have your primary array at your primary site and you have the bulk of your users close to that because you want to be, you want to take advantage of the locality of the storage and the data and the applications absorbing that. But you may have another instance of storage somewhere else. Maybe it's in a, you know, another data center, another facility. But maybe you have some users there as well. And, and for us, we're kind of saying, well, you know, we want to replicate from one site to the next. And we want to make sure that you've got a copy of that from site to site. But, oh, look, you've got users at the other site as well. So we can actually set up that remote storage, that secondary storage, put a bit of flash in that, and then give users access, local users access to that particular data Right, so they don't have to travel all the way back to the primary site. They get the advantages of some flash with the secondary copy at the secondary site. So this is a way of providing the replication and then extending that value and saying, well, I mean, this is a very common thing, right? Where customers are like, well, you know, I got this DR site, but I don't use it as a sitting there, blah blah blah. And it's like, well, here's the ability to say I've got a second site, and I'm actually using the data in production that I've copied over there. Yeah. And So this is a great leverage. Now I've got the ability to go back and forth provide resumption capabilities, I've got replication, and I'm actually using it and getting a performance benefit for it.
2: Yeah, because typically, I, I don't know, it, it, my experience dealing with multi-data center deployments, the primary is always where the money goes. The secondary, it's either a waterfall of deprecated assets, or it's just some old dog storage array that, you know, you say it can be used for disaster recovery or replication, but man, you don't actually ever want to fail over to this thing. So I like the idea of being able to run Kind of a, a set of applications that you always want on there because it's consuming a resource and it's getting the value out of it, but also knowing that it's not just some old dog that's sitting over the other site that, man, you just cross your fingers that you never really have to kind of pressure it in any way for IOPS or other performance needs.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like a backup, right? You don't ever have to have to rely on that, right? You don't try to avoid that kind of situation. Absolutely. That's kind of where we're at with that, right, is, is getting utility out of the, the secondary uh, site and the secondary storage.
0: No, we work. call it secondary flash, Garth. Are these all flash arrays no. or?
1: Yeah, yeah, great question, right? Because I, I don't know. Is that misleading? I don't know. They just secondary flash, right? So, you know, we put low cost spinning media in that secondary site, but maybe we've got a little bit of flash in there just so we can get some performance out of, uh, out of the data that's most current, right? We could tier that data up and make it available and, and keep those uh, remote users quite happy. They're not stuck with the slowest storage, although the storage tank over there may be on. Lower cost spinning media, but certainly we can we can give them the performance they need to run their applications over there at the secondary site. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: Man, my takeaway is that having nearly a decade of data for InfoSight to comb through means there's a lot of great actionable data that's available to make sure that the application or the workload or the issues associated with those are being proactively resolved. And I I just wanted to highlight that. I think that's really cool, and there's a lot of value to that. What's on your mind, Ethan?
0: Oh, man, AI that makes decisions for you. That's what's on my mind. I mean... AI is to me—it's becoming a key element of modernizing infrastructure because there's too many data points spread across increasingly complex architectures, and a human to effectively optimize like how a storage array is serving up data—you know what Infosight's helping us with here—it's just not going to be possible for any of us to keep up with, no matter how competent we are as engineers. You know, at the same time, I do find automating IT decisions like this a little bit frightening, but I, I guess maybe that's my gray hair speaking, man. I know that turning over some decisions to software is, is really a necessary way ahead.
2: Okay, hey Garth, I think you've done a good job at looking at all of the value-add and kind of the modernization that's available with Nimble. Now I want to move to the hyperconverged world. I want to talk about SimpliVity. And I'll be honest, for those listening to the show, I haven't been as in the weeds as I would like in the past, so maybe just a quick introduction, what is SimpliVity, level set the audience on kind of what it does, and then we'll dig in all the the fun, cool features that we want to express on this show. Okay, great.
1: What you have with SimpliVity, then, is it is a hyper-converged infrastructure. So it sits in that particular marketplace. So that's very clear to us. This is to handle these virtualization workloads for Windows and Hyper-V and for VMware's uh, ESX environments. So that's really what it's there to do. And like a hyper-converged provider, we've integrated the compute layer along with the storage layer. So we ingest all of the data, we are delivering all of the workload, we're delivering all those virtual machines, and we cluster these things, we build clusters, then we take one cluster from one physical site, and we can connect it to a cluster at another physical site, and so on and so forth. And we can grow these things quite significantly. And the key thing that you're getting in a hyperconverged environment with SimpliVity is we have our tool, which is sitting down inside the vCenter environment, and you can manage it out of vCenter. It's not very complicated. We've automated a huge amount of the operational requirements around SimpliVity in the data management layer. Now, one of the key things we've got in here with SimpliVity is that SimpliVity box, that HPE SimpliVity box, has what we call an FPGA. And the FPGA Nice little piece of gear here. If you're technical, this is very interesting. For a lot of customers, I don't necessarily need to talk about that because they're more interested in what this hyperconverged infrastructure is going to do for them. But under the covers, this uh, field programmable gate array is a hardware mechanism on how we thin out things and, and we do the dedupe and compression compaction right in hardware. So this is not if you are a software based hyper converged infrastructure provider, you're doing everything off the same CPUs that are actually delivering your virtualization workload. So it's kind of a competition for resources. So we offload all that into a. This you know special board that does this work for us.
0: Yeah, that's sort of a big deal because when I think of hyperconverged, typically I think of software doing most of the heavy lifting, and it runs on commodity hardware. So, and there's nothing fancy about the hardware at all necessarily. But you you've invested big in making the storage quite efficient with the FPGAs.
1: So yeah, not only that, but in the in the disk layer, right? I'm using an array controller. So above the FPGA, I still have an array controller with a RAID 1, RAID 5, RAID 6, whatever I'm doing there, okay? So, I mean, if I have a heart in a software environment, if I if a drive fails and I yank a drive, well, you're in a rebuild mode, and you've got the overhead for that, and you're still doing a uh, decompressing if you're reading or you're doing a, a compression, a dedupe, action if you're writing while you're doing a rebuild. So that's kind of a, you know, it could be a bit of a struggle in terms of overhead. It causes a software-based hyperconverged infrastructure to be sized differently than ours. So we could get in there and say, well, you just don't need as much hardware. Real hard thing for a hardware vendor to say, but that's the reality, right? That we can thin out the hardware requirements, lighten up that requirement by enabling this through hardware. So, and we guarantee that. So we've got a, a we guarantee a 90% reduction in the number of writes that you're going to make and 90% reduction in the actual amount of physical raw disk you're going to require to support this. Because we get a very, very efficient collapse ratio using that FPGA to do that.
2: It also directly flies in the face of, I think, a, a poor stigmata that hit hyperconverged in the early days as well, uh, more especially, I should say, where it was like, well, yeah, you can put virtual machines and whatnot on there, but the performance is only for VDI or something along that range. And you're saying, no, we've got these pretty... Kick butt servers underneath the covers, as well as hardware that definitely offloads any kind of software bottlenecks, so that you could potentially put I don't know whatever you really want on the platform, not have to worry about choking off performance. And you know no, nobody wants to buy a layer of foundation within the data center, especially in the hyperconverged world. It's just gonna uh, keel over on the side when it gets hit with some kind of performance intense application. So I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with saying, okay, we're gonna alleviate these bottlenecks with something like an FPGA. Which two thumbs up there. Uh, it, seems, it seems intelligent to me.
1: Yeah, that really helps. Uh, it's really about reducing that risk, right, by reducing the complexity. So everything comes into our data management layer. We've compressed and deduped and really reduced that sheer volume down. And then from there, we can actually say, well, we're going to do backups. We're going to back up out of here, but we're backing up out of a, a de-duped, that dedupe layer. And we don't have to rehydrate to do that. So now I could start to copy out what I've got in that layer and make multiple copies, distribute them across the cluster. And then, so if I do have a node failure, if I do have an issue that pops up, I can actually, I've got the ability to recover and do a set point on data and I can just rehydrate. So I can really get very, very efficient when I start doing backups within the SimpliVity layer. Now, a caveat, this is a flash-based device. And long-term archive is not the kind of place where you put Flash. So we've got really great uh, uh, connectivity back into Veeam and Commvault and others to provide for the ability to evacuate into your long-term backup as well. So we can you know, parlay that into the kind of capabilities you see in an organization like Veeam to give you some extended archival management of that of that data from a backup perspective. But certainly, if you get into your 30, 60, 90, day windows from a backup perspective, all that can be contained back in simplicity. (laughs)
2: Well, yeah, nobody nobody drives a Ferrari to deliver pizzas. So I think that's that's a fair thing to to bring up. And, And Garth, I remember one of the things I thought was really interesting looking at the architecture historically was how you were kind of building this logical namespace where data center failover was kind of a primary use case where you could have, you know, there's multiple sites, but they're all kind of aware of one another. And there's a lot of just I don't know, if you can go into the magic mojo that was all about locality and how it was all kind of stitched together at the SimpliVity layer, I think that's a pretty interesting topic.
1: Yeah, it's really nice. Locality is an interesting context, right? Because the, uh, you know, where that stuff is sitting, where people are using it, where people are consuming it is a critical part of the overall performance and distribution of data across the cluster. So in that SimpliVity layer, right, I've got the, I can drive these workloads, make copies, one of the key things I've got here is regardless of how many clusters I've got and where the clusters reside from a single point I can set policy and set that policy across all of the environment right from one location with one with one operator so it really goes to the complexity of trying to manage a multiple geography distributed type of compute environment so from a that locality perspective I can place workload where it makes the most sense have resiliency integrated across the environment and then from an operations manager perspective i've got the ability to just you know set and manage policy from a single point and have that propagate across all the
2: locations so it really makes the the ownership pretty easy can we dig into the policy real quick cuz i think that's interesting like what am i putting into the policy and what is the policy controlling is it something like hey, this tier one policy is being applied to a workload and I'm going to make sure it gets replicated and is available and all that kind of jazz? Or, or is it something slightly different than that?
1: No, it's really the access to the data, uh, what volumes you've got set up, which applications associated which volumes. This is when you, when you go in and you configure your environment, you don't want to have to go to each cluster to go and do that. Whatever you've got from a requirements to go in and set things up and configure things in, get them dialed up correctly, get everything uh, tuned up nicely. So we're going to set that policy. So it, again, if a machine fails, or if you want to migrate a workload from one location to another, the policy can follow that. And once you've got all the policies set up, then you're, you're good to go across your environment. And I think it's really just going out the simplification, but that's the objective of hyper-converged, right? Is that to, to really simplify the ownership experience. And the first major step is combining your storage primary and, uh, and backup and all the other utility type uh, storage management functions along with the compute and just allow you to just grow, add nodes and, and just keep things rolling along with as little disruption, downtime and complexity as possible.
0: Well, Garth, I know uh, an announcement just came out about a week ago from SimpliVity uh, regarding composable fabric. Now, composable is a hot buzzword now. Can you put some meat around what composable means in this context of SimpliVity and HCI?
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So anytime we talk about composability, we're really talking about the pooling of assets, of resources, and being able to have the systems dynamically, automatically consume resources out of those pools to satisfy temporal business requirements with respect to application and data and usage, etc. So in this context, through an acquisition, we provided the ability to drive out what we call a composable fabric. So this is a fully Compatible to Cisco, top of rack networking infrastructure, and that networking infrastructure, we provided a beautiful reference architecture uh, with respect to SimpliVity. So as you create a an automated simplified consumption model around the SimpliVity cluster so too do we have a top-of-rack capability with our composable fabric. And this means that the composable fabric can see what's happening at the application layer down in the cluster or just across your regular pro lines. It doesn't have to be SimpliVity. We've just got a nice, real tight intercession here because all the automation and simplification of operations that you get with SimpliVity can now be tied into the actual networking piece itself, where a composable fabric will dynamically adjust Its requirements to satisfy the demands at the application layer so that anything that's happening down in the cluster, the composable fabric will accommodate for that by providing the right amount of speed and opening up the pipes to really let the whole application breathe across all the infrastructure. So it was a really, really interesting thing that we got with a recent acquisition uh, that uh, occurred earlier this year. And we've now uh, productized and implemented that. And we've got a a great connecting point into uh, SimpliVity to do that.
0: Well, in a way, it goes back to that theme that we had with uh, Nimble and InfoSight, where there's software doing some analysis and making some decisions and putting those decisions in practice on your infrastructure so that... That's been automated. It's not something you had to do as an engineer to facilitate something happening. The software determined what needed to happen and then did it for you to make sure that the results you need are going to happen.
1: Right. In a traditional rack-mount environment with rack-mounted servers, not necessarily with blades, but with rack-mounted servers, we're responsible for that. We're plugging the cables in and making sure, where's this plugged into that? and how are we going to make sure this is going to work? And it's a lot of work in there to make sure that that stuff's going to uh, give us the bandwidth that we need. And so, you know, with that layer, we don't have to worry about that. And we've got the ability to just automate that layer. Now, why is this important, right? So what's happening now is there's a demand on us to understand more around cloud. There's more around to get into conversations now around things like Docker. Well, maybe not so much. Maybe maybe it's around Kubernetes, right? Maybe it's around OpenShift. Maybe it's around what we're doing around OneSphere. Maybe it's around Cloud Foundry. Maybe there's all that kind of stuff. So we want to take resources that we're traditionally managing an array, managing, you know, these servers managing the top of rack switches, I want to free people up from doing those lower level tasks and get them focused on some higher level tasks, tasks that are really far more critical to the business stuff that the business is asking for stuff that the the business is looking for.
0: Well, I find what's interesting about this conversation, like I, I know the company that you guys acquired to, uh, to bring in some of this fabric capability. And they've been around for several years now and the technology is maturing or I would even say mature. It started out as an idea that, that then grew and all those algorithms became real. So there's a certain part of me as an engineer that goes, eh, you know, I want to do it all myself and I don't trust software and, you know, and so on. But then the reality is you have to go that way. Because there's 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 too many decisions that need to get made. You've got to turn over that control to software to let it go. And in fact, you can do that with a reasonable expectation that's going to work how you think. You you build some policies and then the software based on your policies puts in place what you want without you having to do a lot more work. And you couldn't get it done any other way, I don't think.
1: Well, hang on a second. I mean, what were you looking at here? So if your business is going to put some workload in the cloud, They're going to go to that cloud provider and say, I want these cores with this memory stick, with these spindles made by this manufacturer. They're going to say, I want to have this network switch. I want to have these ports available. None of that conversation comes up. And so, you know, we've disassociated ourselves from the physical layer. So composability is doing that. Composability is going to abstract us from that physical layer. You know, 2018 going to 2019, the hardware is capable of delivering what we need all on its own. Okay, so this is, you know, we've had conversations on around automation for years, but this is an autonomous ability to say, ask for what you need put your requirements into a template and just drop the template on the physical infrastructure and allow the infrastructure to go and put itself together. So with SimpliVity, we've really taken a lot of the work out, right? Because you go through a single input point and you can characterize what you want and and lay it into the infrastructure and let it go. And with the acquisition of Plexi, which is what we're getting our composable fabric from, you're getting that kind of functionality as well. So this is really saying, I just want to create more and more of that. Now, if you were bladed, you would already have that. You know, if you're looking at HPC 7000s or looking at our Synergy platform, you'd say, Hey, you've got your virtual connect. You've really automated a lot of the networking layer here. You're using your OneView platform to go in and create templates to automate this, and I can propel templates, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the point is, 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 hey, I'm not bladed. Well, that's okay. Here I've got a composable fabric, and I can create the next level of automation around your infrastructure. If you're using our HCI platform, our traditional, Alliance or our Apollo platform, that's great. It all connects in, but we can really simplify the ownership experience and and how the architecture is done is delivered by the actual infrastructure itself.
0: The thing that really grabbed my attention was when Garth said, uh, disassociating ourselves from the physical layer. Yeah, isn't that where we're really at? Uh, we, we've got all this compute and storage and networking that we need to consume. And if we try to do it a disk at a time and a network interface at a time and so on, it's just not realistic. It, it kind of goes back to the the last takeaway I had where we're really automating away some of the minutiae of the decisions that we might make in our IT infrastructure management And that's going to be life, that's the way forward, and we need to understand how these systems are making decisions for us so that we can learn to work with them and trust them. That's helping us to modernize our infrastructure. What's on your mind, Chris?
2: I also pulled out a quote and wanted to kind of pontificate on it a bit. Garth said, you don't want to go to each cluster and set things up, and he was being a bit tactical in the description, but I'm going to zoom out a little bit because yes, I'm always a big believer. In being able to declare the state of infrastructure, especially by way of policies. So I think everyone's goal, including my own, should be to manage the environment or whatever the data center cloud, whatever it is, via policies instead of these traditionally manually and imperatively driven operations.
0: Well, Garth, we went from HCI with SimpliVity to to composable uh, fabric and and some of those composable features that are there with SimpliVity. But there's a whole other composable platform that HPE's got called Synergy. So can you explain what Synergy is to us?
1: Absolutely. So Synergy is is what we call a a full, complete, full-bore composable infrastructure. So it provides for storage, compute, networking, all in one box. It's basically like a cloud in hardware, right? So you can land a Synergy box connected to another Synergy box connected to another Synergy box. These are large frames we can put into uh, up to 12 half height servers in here. We have full height servers, full height, double wide. I've got storage blocks. I've got my networking fabric in there. I can connect a three par into this thing. I can connect a Nimble into this thing. I can do pretty much anything I want with this box. The key point in this composable infrastructure and, and what composability gives you is I have a single tool. So this is our, our OneView. And OneView has, and look it up on GitHub, if you go into GitHub and look for OneView slash Synergy, whatever you want to do, you'll find us. And what you'll see is there is a single API input point that you can use any upstream service. I really don't care what you want to use, as long as it can send REST commands down to us into OneView. You can use any upstream tool to go and tell Synergy what to be. And here's the key thing. If I'm hyper-converged, I'm virtualization. You want to do containers in that? They're probably going into a VM anyways. But Synergy can run bare metal containers. You want to run Kubernetes on this thing? You want to run Mesos on this thing? You want to run Rancher on this thing? You want to run Docker? I don't really care. In fact, run all of those concurrently with any hypervisor. So you can have a virtualization farm in here as well. And if you wanted to, you could run SAP HANA in bare metal, not on a VM. You could run Oracle in bare metal. You could run SQL Server in bare metal. In fact, you could run any bare metal x86 application can be landed on this by OneView. So OneView can be orchestrated above the line by any upper tool. So you could talk about Ansible, you could talk SaltStack, you could talk Chef, you could talk Puppet. I really just don't care. I just need to receive those commands. So the beauty of this is if you wanted to sit down and script out your application configuration tool, you can append those scripts with the hardware requirements and insert those into that code. So you can now say, please go deploy the following application. Oh, by the way, send the following downstream commands into this infrastructure and ask for X number servers or virtual machines and then ask for this storage and ask for these networks with the following VLANs, with the following QoS and all these (laughs) parameters and switches and shove all that at the infrastructure and the infrastructure goes, okay, I just you know, made the pie, I baked it, it's done, ding, and then you go and consume.
0: Garth, you you have saddled a unicorn and rode it over the horizon. You're disappearing. <laughs> we gotta, we're going to throw a lasso and pull you back in a little bit I because mean, there's we even got to get some context here, man. Oh, okay. boy. Okay, so, so, so you said a lot there. You really said a lot. Um, first of all, we need to compare the SimpliVity HCI conversation that had some composable functionality with Synergy and Composable, and it sounds like SimpliVity is maybe a smaller solution aimed at people with have lesser compute needs. And Synergy is like the big boy. You roll this sucker into the data center a rack at a time, maybe, when you need tons of compute and you need bare metal capability, and it's got a, a whole different software engine that makes it composable so you can consume that rack full of gear in whatever way you need. Is that a fair...
1: That- that's, that's getting there. I mean, I would say you probably need two of our chassis that would max out at 24 servers if they were half-height blades. That would, be the, that would be the, I need a minute. So probably if you had six servers in each chassis. So, you know, your entry point there is two chassis, say 12 blades. That's kind of where your entry point would be. So it doesn't need to be huge, but it scales because I can create a single fault domain with 21 of these frames. So I actually can really scale huge on this thing if I needed to. But my entry point is actually quite modest. And the simplicity scales as well. So I believe we've announced the ability to scale up to 32 nodes in a single instance of a cluster in in that. So it scales nicely as well. In fact, I've got some roadmap to maybe put those two together, make a happy family kind of setup there. But, you know, the point with Synergy and really – because the customer – I don't know if the customer – if my customer may not really care about, you know, that level of detail. What they might care about is, is, you know – you have a V farm over here and you have a container project over here and you've got some bare metal application over here. And I can go and say, well, look, man, let's just refresh this thing and put it all into one infrastructure, one operational model, one set of processes procedures and one set of workflows to support all three types. You've got your DevOps guys that are starting to churn away on a container approach to things as they, you build out your uh, your application stack that's proprietary to your business. Then you've got your virtualization farm that's running a bunch of your core applications. And then you've got your bare metal applications. And some of these things are pretty critical and they have dependencies. And I've got a variety of blades and things that I can put inside Synergy to accommodate all of those cases. Hey, I've got a high performance compute requirement. Well, stop, right? There's something else there, right? I've got an Apollo product line to accommodate for that. I've got a rack mount requirement. Well, I've got rack mount, but... Synergy is there to really take in all those workloads. I think that's the key piece. And then the ownership experience is about collapsing all of those processes and procedures, streamlining the operational model, but then exposing it to an upstream tool. And the upstream tool can be anything you want. And that's the key message there. So in addition to that, we have a product that we announced last year called OneSphere. And OneSphere is a cloud management platform. And what OneSphere does is OneSphere says, give me all of your access to AWS workloads, give me your access to your Azure workloads, give me your access to your GCP workloads, give me your access to your on-prem workloads with something like Synergy ProLiant or SimpliVity. And then I will give you a SaaS-based portal that sees all of your workloads in all of those instances across all of those providers, on-prem and multi-cloud, and then I can give you a cost metric that you can apply to each of these workloads in each of those discrete locations that you're running a workload in, and then allow you to do a comparative analysis on the cost and understand what application belongs where. And what we see here is, is what we've generally seen is that when customers move workload to the cloud, we've seen a 70% rate of repatriation. Not all of it, but customers 70% of the time put a bunch of workload in the cloud and they go, oops, and they have to pull some of it back. Not all of it but they're pulling some of it back because it was the wrong workload to put in the cloud. So we want to make sure that using products like OneSphere combined with platforms like Synergy allow our customers to deploy and manage workload in the right place at the right time. It's called the right mix. And the Synergy technology base down there, you can either use OneSphere to go and automate and orchestrate into our infrastructure. Or if you want, you can do this with OpenShift. You can do this with Chef Puppet, Ansible, SaltStack, whatever you want. It's fully open, right? And again, GitHub, for one view for Synergy, and you're off to the races with the API to go and do that.
2: It's kind of like at the micro going macro. The micro levels, you have Synergy. It's a, the hardware platform is composable, meaning, you know, here here's a brick or a module, or, you know, in this case, a chassis of IT stuff, the compute storage network. Is that also the orchestration engine? Like, is Synergy the software also acting as the orchestrator to then tell those components how to look and act by the way of, it sounds like a RESTful API. That's how I can use any of these config managers to say, hey, Synergy, you are now X, and it becomes a bare metal container farm or something like that.
1: Correct. That's exactly what's happening is we're taking all those RESTful commands and we're running those through the uh, OneView Universal Translator, a.k.a. the API, right, to turn that into. <laughs>
2: I like the Universal yeah. Translator. That's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Babel fish.
1: So, oh, yeah. So we're just going to take those commands and we, just, we translate those into the physical commands and the physical layer to go in and you know configure the BIOS, to go and set up the ILO connections, to go in and build out the local drive, to go and attach it to the SAN. We can send commands into 3PAR. Please go create this volume and attach it on this HBA, on this particular zone, through this brocade, et cetera. And then we can go in and we can configure our virtual connect to set up all the networking. And then we can go, I could do some other really cool things. I mean, imagine this, right? These Synergy boxes, we can put storage right inside the Synergy box. It's very different for a blade manufacturer, so it's a storage drawer. It just fits inside the chassis, just like the blades of servers would, except now it's got 40 hard drives in it. And it could be, if they're, they're the small drives, so we don't we do the large drives. So this is for primary storage. We don't see this for secondary, but you could now get into software-defined storage.
0: So so what are those? You mentioned you could, you could shove a bunch of drives in there uh, in a shelf. What are those? Is that NVMe?
1: Um, these are currently, uh, it's a non-blocking SAS connection. NVME is on the roadmap to to build that thing out. But um, I mean, also understand Synergy, is, we would like to think this is our brand new blade replacement. It's literally been in the market, it's just coming on three years now. So this is not like this composable thing for us is something we just dreamed up and then brought it to market yesterday, right? It's been actually well established in the marketplace for almost three years now.
0: We were talking about SimpliVity. Uh, You mentioned that they've got FPGAs in them, Optimizer Storage Interaction does uh, specialized things. What's the silicon mix and synergy?
1: So Synergy itself is a passive backplane and the storage drawers themselves, they've got a SAS header in there, but we create a non-blocking connection to the groups of drives back to the actual servers themselves. So here's a beautiful thing, right? That I could take a chassis and take a couple of servers, attach them into 40 hard drives, or maybe put in two hard drive carriers. Now I'd have like 80 drives, right? But I could now lay a software-defined storage platform on top of those servers. Directly connect those drives across our 16 terabit per second backplane. By the way, whip out a calculator and find that 16 terabits per second gives me an eight nanoseconds of latency from the drive, the flash drive to the server. It's incredibly fast. connection.
2: Unacceptable. I need four nanoseconds.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> then I'll fix that. And I'll fix that because each one of those backplanes in that chassis, they are already plumbed in for photonics. And they... The connection there will jump from 16 terabits per second to 56 terabits per second when we can move into the next generation and flip out those black backplanes and kind of migrate that, that up. And that's a Gen, Gen Z conversation with respect to the Gen Z consortium around uh, the use of storage class memory and memory, memory-centered computing model. So Synergy actually says, guess what? I can do all the stuff you want today. I can do all the cloud stuff you want to do. I can do all the container stuff you want to do. I can take your bare metal and your traditional and your virtualization workload. And oh, by the way, I'm already pre-plumbed for Photonics. When that comes at me, I'm not going to be surprised. And I'm going to be able to handle that and deliver on that as well. So this is a a huge piece. Software-defined storage is a growing presence in the marketplace. So for us, we look at Cohesity. We look at Scality. We look at Hedvig. We look at Satera. We look at the suze says platform which is a uh, the luminous version of Ceph. Uh, we look at all those platforms as providing something each one of them providing something unique and they all are part of a software defined storage play here as well so looking at traditional primary storage with our three pars and nimbles and then looking at primary and secondary and tertiary storage requirements provided by the various different providers of software defined storage and when you mix all that together synergy becomes a that box that a customer could deploy and basically say, this thing is ready for anything I throw at it.
0: So, Garth, a couple of other questions for you here. Um, so, silicon, we didn't mention that there's anything special. We talked a bit about the storage of some of the silicon there. Is the x86 just general compute CPUs? Is there anything magical worth talking about there?
1: We've got some servers that can take GPUs so we can get into uh, VDI type uh, componentry We've got some servers that take a lot of memory. So we do some in-memory compute. Again, if I really wanted to do big in-memory compute, I'd be looking at my Superdome Flex and x86 scalable implementation i mean this this thing is a crazy huge beast if you really build it up so you know draw a bell curve and and drop synergy in you know the central two-thirds of that bell curve right and that's really where our placement is i want to take in all those workloads i want to be able to insulate it organizations against the future with respect to wherever the the business comes to it and says i want to do something kooky and and synergy is the kind of box that says i can take that i can i can handle that i can deliver on that
0: Now, you mentioned being able to do a lot of things in memory, Uh, so give me a sense of how big I can scale up uh, memory on the Synergy platform, Garth.
1: So the Synergy platform, and I guess more specifically, uh, we work very tightly with Intel to make sure that the power footprint of the future generation of processors coming from Intel could be accommodated for inside a platform like Synergy. So if you did a comparative analysis between our Synergy platform, which is 10U high, and our previous chassis, the C7000, which was 10 u high the previous chassis took 16 half height blades why does synergy only take 12 garth why is that and the reason is when working with intel we identified that to really put in for in-memory applications and to really drive up the uh, the dim count in those blades we needed to make the blades a little bit thicker a little bit wider and this allowed us to go with taller dims and then to also meet the intel specification with respect to the the power footprint with uh and if you're a CPU person, it's called T-Case and the total wattage that's coming off of that. But it's, it's really understanding uh, to make sure that anything that we're doing with Intel is going to be supported in, in Synergy that we've got the physical dimensions to deal with a much larger memory footprint. So being approximately 50% more RAM in a blade than we had in our C7000s. And that helps all of us because we are typically more memory bound than we are CPU bound. Intel processors being fabulously efficient. If you've looked at the roadmap recently from a a core count and what they're exploring and getting ready to deliver out to the market it's just looking very, 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 very phenomenal. So currently, Synergy is really an Intel-only type platform, and the blades themselves have been sized and appropriately accommodated for power and the memory requirements to to support those CPUs.
0: All right, Garth, we're getting towards the end of the show here, but there's one topic we have not hit on at all yet, which is security. I mean, that's a whole show in itself, I suppose, if if we really go down there, but can you give us some sense of... From the Synergy platform perspective, how does security factor into this architecture?
1: So interesting. I mean, Synergy itself, in our chassis, we've got, you know, typically OneView is, a, is our management platform. And it's, you know, for traditional environments, OneView gets installed on kind of like a service processor as a virtual machine to manage the environment. Synergy actually has OneView sitting as an appliance inside the actual chassis. And I can, you know, build out two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty one. 10, 15, 20, 21 Frames, link them all together, and just use two of these OneView appliances to, to manage all that. I also provide for something called a streamer, and the streamer contains all your gold images. So, you know, if you had a, a, a chef recipe, you could click on it and deploy and push, and then we grab the image off the streamer and blast it out across our backplane. Security is really eponymous across all of our servers in our Gen 10 platform. And so let me just focus on that. So Synergy is using Gen 9, but it is also now we have available to it a full range of Gen 10 servers. And Gen 10 has what we call our Insight Lights Out, which is our asynchronous out-of-band management chip. It's a piece of silicone. And Gen 10 is defined with this piece of silicone because we get what we call silicone root of trust. And silicone root of trust, unlike the harder route of trust provided by other vendors and CPU manufacturers, we actually go and qualify all the different read-writable areas on the motherboard. If the VGA circuit has a, or chip basic has a firmware on it, we're managing that. And we're comparing, and, and the NIC, and the array controller, and the baseboard actual management processors on the, on the system board. All of those firmwares need to line up with a factory burnt-in hash algorithm that we use. So we're actually able to get, uh, if you're familiar with the National Security Agency, they have what they call the CNSA. We can option up on our ILO to give you CNSA-qualified security on our Gen 10 platforms. FIPS Compliance, uh, the NIST, the National Institute of Standards Organization, they've got standards around security. And we are compliant with all of those organizations. And we do it right through the actual silicon in our ILO 5, in a factory burnt-in hash. So that's kind of what our customers are getting. And when, when you parlay that into, into Synergy, so as you go up the ecosystem and you get more workloads and more critical workloads, really more important workloads driven into an infrastructure like Synergy, we want to make sure at the hardware level that customers understand that we've got security burnt right into the actual silicone of these boxes to try to keep the bad guys out. And it's part of your overall security strategy, we're able to lock down the hardware layer here and really... Make sure that nobody can go and, and disrupt our environment by rewriting an EEPROM somewhere and sticking in some malicious code and the server boots and all of a sudden some routine opens up a network port and data starts pouring out. So we can we can eliminate and, uh, and minimize that risk in that environment with our Gen 10 platforms, which we can run in. Synergy, as well as our Apollo platforms and our ProLiant platforms as well.
0: Yeah, that that hardware chain of trust, being able to demonstrate that the box that you're racking has gone through a a supply chain that is known to be trusted. You're getting a box in the rack that HPE is identifying and knows that this is something that you can trust, all the components on the board that you can trust, because we own that. That's actually a, a really big deal.
1: Correct. I mean, it's about supply chain management as well. So we've got a, you know, all that the strength of that supply chain management. So It's a lot of lot of process, but there's, but you know, you pay for what you get, right? So I'm not going to pretend to be the cheapest vendor out there. I think that we've got some really cool things. Uh, we've got a, the strongest security model out there. We've got our InfoSight functionality now that's coming in early January to our ProLiant platforms. And that'll take all the way back to Gen 8, uh, to Gen 9 and Gen 10 ProLiant servers and Apollo servers. This is amazing to be predictive, analytical, prescriptive and deterministic on the support of the environment at the server level. The same way we do with Nimble and 3PAR is going to be a a huge blowout in terms of uh, our capabilities on the server side. It's going to be a big differentiator for us. So it's about risk and cost, right, for us. So we really substantially can reduce people's risk uh, through the platform, the tools, the capabilities, the workloads, all aspects. It's a 360-degree view of how we see that infrastructure, and we really work hard to make sure we've got a a strong uh, value back to our customers.
0: Well, Garth Reed, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Man, your, your passion shows. You just wear it right out there on your sleeve, and that was fantastic. It was a, really a lot of fun to listen to you talk about all these different HPE solutions and, and, and why they're different and so on. Now, are you uh, social? Can anybody go online and contact you in some way if they want to get more details?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think LinkedIn is the best platform to do that for, for myself. I'm happy to get into any conversation that people would like to, to entertain. That would be great.
0: That's fantastic. And, of course, on HPE's website, there's plenty of more information about Nimble, SimpliVity, and the Synergy solutions. That's all there. And we will have links in the show notes, so you can click on through to that if you want to dig in more deeply. And that's going to bring it to the end of today's sponsored edition of the Data Knots podcast. Our special thanks goes out to HPE and also to Intel, who uh, sponsored the show today. Without our sponsors, we cannot do what we do. You can reach Ethan, I am at EC Banks on Twitter. Chris is at Chris Wall on Twitter. And uh, you can find out more about Datanauts all at packetpushers.net. And until then, may your server lights blink, your budgets allow you to modernize, and your cables be cleanly managed. (laughs)